welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the Bible. And uh, I just want to take a couple weeks to talk about it and help you to understand the Bible more, to love it more, to read it more, to apply it more. I got a Bible fan on the front row. They're like, whoo, Bible. All right, how many of you brought an old school Bible? You got an old school Bible, print, I mean, a printed Bible with you. If you have it with you, hold it up, hold it up. You have a printed Bible. Like seven of them in the church, seven, like seven. Digital Bible, who's got it on their phone? If you don't have it, download it, get it on your phone, take it everywhere you go. When I was youth pastor once, I said, if you ever catch me without my Bible, I will give you $5. I said that to every kid in the youth group. If you ever catch me without my Bible, I'll give you $5. I went everywhere with my Bible, never, and I'm talking paper Bible. And one night I was doing a youth event and we went to Burger King and I forgot my Bible. And one kid comes up and goes, did you have your Bible? I go, I said, I owe you $5. Please don't shout it out. Don't shout it out. I got out of Burger King and I was driving away like, ha ha. You know, but I owed him $5. But it's important. I want you to love the word of God. Now it is under attack more and more. And I realized this, that, that it's so under attack. And uh, it used to be that just like your uncle would rib you at maybe Thanksgiving about, you believe the Bible? And it was just, or maybe one person would do it. Or every now and again, you'd have somebody that would do it. But because we live in a digital world, people are attacking it all the time. You will see all sorts of things with people attacking it. And I realized that people were attacking the Bible. And so I found a resource for our staff and I, and I got it for all of them. And I said, I want you to have it. It's called How Not to Read the Bible by Dan Kimball. And I highly recommend it. I'm gonna use a bunch of it even in today's message and next week. Um, I love it. And I, and I just, I just wanna give Dan credit there um, it would be a great course for us to do with Disciple You, because I'm not gonna go through the whole thing, but it'd be great for somebody on the team to go ahead and do the five-part series and give you that for those of you that won't get the book. But I grew up with like the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah I, I was there. And, and now it's like, people are like, I don't even know if the Bible's real, and, and they mock you for it, they tease you, they tear it apart. And when I grew up reading the Bible, I mean, there were just so many great stories in there, great verses. And if I ever got to a difficult difficult one, I'd be like, oh yeah, all right, we'll just move on to a better page. Let's get out of Leviticus. All right, let's move on over. Let's go back to Matthew. All right, you know, that's just how I lived. And, And now when you have the difficult ones, those are the ones that everybody's coming after you with. Those are the ones that everybody's attacking with. And, and the Bible admits that it's difficult. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, uh, Peter's writing about Paul, and he says, remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. Peter's saying, like, part of it's hard. Like, I get it. Paul wrote these things, it's hard, but people that are ignorant go and they twist it. And they twist what Paul said, and they even twist the rest of the Scriptures, and you know what? This is gonna lead to their destruction. And so the Bible is under attack. It's just, uh, in a digital world, it's under attack all the time. And instead of even TV shows being like, 
positive about the Bible, they're negative. And West Wing is uh, notorious for a scene that they did where the president just mocks this person for the Bible and rips them to shred, taking Old Testament verses out of context and doing exactly what Peter says. And, and in, in that scene, of course, it wouldn't, you know, I'm sure the writers weren't like, let's do something to defend the Bible. They were planning to attack it. But if the person was really trained, they could have said, yep, that's what uh, Peter said you'd do. Ignorant and unlearned people would twist the scripture. You know, that'd be pretty bold to say to the president. Anyways, all right. But it's under attack. And so I, I'm just wondering, can you defend it? Because even with memes and things like this, like these are memes that are out right now, and I wanna show them like memes are things where they take the text, a picture and a text and mock culture, but go ahead, put this up here. Christians be like, God bless this pork that you command us not to eat. All right, that's out on the internet right now. And there's another one, go ahead, um, that people will mock about unicorns. It's like, and the unicorn shall come down with them and their land shall be soaked in blood and the dust made with fat. And it says, know your Bible. There's unicorns in the Bible. And some of you are like, there are, we'll get there, all right? But people are using this to mock Christianity. And these are just some of the tame ones. There's all sorts of ones that people are attacking with memes and trying to say, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Your Bible is ridiculous. And they're trying to get us to not trust in the word of God. They're trying to get us to wonder like and question it and is it really true and if we wonder if it's really true and we question it, well then should we really believe it? Should we really live by it? And so you have to know what's going on. Most people have very low biblical literacy, just very low and the Bible itself tells us that we should know how to divide the word of truth, that we should know how to look into it. We should do that so we won't be ashamed. In 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We should rightly be handling this. Like we should, otherwise you're gonna be like, people are gonna say, you believe like you can't eat, uh, you know, pork or should, should the Vikings not touch a, a football because it's pigskin and, and that's in the, you know, pigskin's in the Bible and there's Christians on the Viking. you see what I'm saying? And so they're gonna attack you. And if you don't know it, you don't know how to rightly divide it. You're, you're, not, you're gonna be ashamed and you're gonna stand there and you're like, I don't know what to say. So I wanna help you get into the right direction and I, I want you to understand the Bible is so valuable to us. It's God's word. People died to get us this. I mean, at one point the church was like, nobody can have it. And then people were like, no, everybody can have it. And people actually died and said, this is so precious that we wanna get this to us. And, and even when I had everybody, like, who's got a, a you know, hard copy Bible? Like, it's digital today. I, I can't imagine what people would have thought when they were cranking it out or writing it by hand that we would all have it digital, whatever version you'd want, right in the palm of your hand. So I wanna help you go in the right direction with this. And again, thank you to Dan Kimball for writing such a great book to help us on this. But... The first thing is the Bible is God's word and unique unlike any other book. It's kind of like a library book, so we'll get there in just a second, but it's, it's unique in its authorship. The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God breathed it. He inspired the people that wrote it. Around 40 people wrote 66 books over 1,500 years in three different languages. And just even the three different languages makes it so unique. I mean, the Quran is only written in one language. The book that Hindus use, one language. The Book of Mormon, one language. The Bible written in three languages. Very unique book amongst any other book. 
God used their personalities, and some of them are written by people that you can tell are highly educated, and others you can tell, boy, this person had a very common language, but God said, I'm gonna use all these different people and inspire them to write my word. And the church council in 397 AD determined which books were placed in the Bible. They said it had to be inspired. It had to look like it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It had to be accepted by the church at large. Like, how did it get in there? It had to be consistent with the rest of the Bible. It had to bear evidence and reflect the work of the Holy Spirit. And they're saying it had to be look like it was written by the Holy Spirit and breathed in by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is unique in its content. It's the only book that says this is the way you could have eternal life. This is the way to have salvation. This is it. This is eternal life. And it gives assurance of it. Not like I'm hoping to get there. It gives you the assurance of knowing that your sins are forgiven. It's unique in that it contains prophecy. 27% of the Bible is prophetic. That's it's just unique. And so we read the Bible with the 66 books, and we've gotta understand that as you're gonna divide this, uh, where I said it's like a library in the beginning there, I wanna just put another illustration up, and forgive me for the quality, I just scanned these in, but um, this one actually looks pretty good. Uh, it's talking about the Bible, and Dan said, it's like a library. There's the books of the law, there's book of history, there's poetry, major prophets, minor prophets. Then we have the New Testament with the Gospels, the history in the book of Acts, Paul's letters, the general letters, and then the apocalyptic letter, which is Revelation. And so when you go to read the Bible, you gotta know like what part of the Bible are you reading and how should you look at this? Like, oh, this is a historical book. So that's how I wanna understand what's being written here. Okay, this is poetry. And so I'm gonna get some tea and I'm gonna sit down and, and have a coffee. You understand, it's poetry. And then Revelation, you're like, I'm gonna have a pastor on speed dial. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, just, you just have to know how you're gonna read this. And, and, and so that really helps us to understand that where was it written and who was it written to and what genre is it? I mean, this is a unique Bible. This is a unique book amongst all other books. It stands above all other books. It's still the number one all-time bestseller with five billion copies sold and many more given away. This is God's word, and we're gonna love it more, apply it more, cherish it, and live by what it says. Listen to what some great people said about it. Theodore Roosevelt said this, a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. I'm just gonna give you an honorary doctorate right now. Yeah. All right. Billy Graham says, if you're ignorant of God's word, you will always be ignorant of God's will. Charles Spurgeon said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. I like that one. Back when I used to have one Bible, it was like, I would be like, oh, and it would fall down. And I had dog-eared pages. Now I have like 57 different Bibles. And I took a, one that looked good on video here. This one looks like a preacher Bible. You know what I'm saying? So D.L. Moody said this, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. Now, I know some people are like, I got this. I got this, Pastor Rob. I, got like, I know this, I know this, I know this. Can I tell you what? In a church that's growing fast like ours, in a church that has people that are coming in since COVID, they're like, I need hope. I wanna walk with Jesus. Like, they need to hear this, and they need you that are saying, I got this. I, I know this. I got this. Give me something new, okay? Like, we need you to lead a small group. We need you to lead like a sisterhood table. We need you to help with discipleship. We need you to do that. These people are wondering like, how can I know this word and how can I have it change my life and how can I withstand the attacks that the other people are throwing at me? So we need you 
to help them understand the Bible. Now, number two, the, when you read the Bible, never read one verse alone. For those of you that are new to this, never read one verse alone. You just take one verse and you read it and you're like, okay, that's what it means. Okay, you gotta understand that you just don't take one verse. Like, if you were to just read Ecclesiastes 8.15 by itself, so I command the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad, then joy will accompany them in their toil all their days of their life God has given them under the sun. You'd be like, we are supposed to be hedonists. Let's go, all right, you know, let's, let's just go. But that's just one verse and it's in Ecclesiastes and you don't understand that there's a dialogue between two people going on and so you, gotta, you can't just take that one verse. Or another one that people would take, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. Okay, you'd say like, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm a temple and I'm working out and I'm keeping this temple looking really good and it's all about bodybuilding. No, it's, it's actually like, go ahead, work out. Bodily exercise is good. That's what the Bible does say. But this verse is saying you're a temple and you should abstain from being sexually immoral. That's what it's saying. But if you just take it one verse by itself, you don't get it in context, and that's a great word you need to hear. Context, context, context. You gotta hear this. What are the circumstances in which it occurs? What surrounds it? What's the setting? You know, like, for instance, if somebody says, let's fight with all of our might. You, if put in the wrong context and you didn't realize that that was a quarterback at an NFL game, you'd say, I don't know, what is he trying to do? Is he trying to go against China? What is he trying to do? You know, let's fight with all of our might till, till the death. You know, it's like, it, it was in an NFL game, so it was just, you gotta have it in context. Or if somebody said, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. Well, you, if you're from another planet, you'd be like, what do you mean? Like, you know, you guys eat horse? Which by the way, one time when we were growing up, my mom gave us horse sausage, like really, we did. She didn't tell us, we were eating it and we were having, I didn't know that you could, it was legal in America to do that. And don't get mad at me, horse lovers, it was my mom, okay. And, and we're eating and then she told us halfway through, like, you're eating horse, and we're like, oh, Mr. Ed, oh no. I mean, we just couldn't do it. You couldn't do it, you know. But you have to understand the context of what that's being said in, and you have to understand the culture, and especially with uh, humor and all these different things and sayings that are in a culture, you've got to understand the context so we don't cherry-pick the verses. Again, you got to understand what genre is it. Like, is it poetry? Is it apocalyptic? Is it history? Where is it in the library that God has given to us and inspired and then to who was it written to, okay? And at what time did they understand? I forget what, it, I think it's called presentism, where you're judging people in the past by what you know in the present today. We're getting really good with that in America. We're like, we're, it's presentism. We're like, we're gonna judge you for what you did 2,000 years ago because of what we know today. Like, you gotta understand, who was it written to and what did they understand? And what, like, think of all the advances that we've just had in the last couple hundred years of being able to see the galaxies and the universe. We did that whole series on that. So you gotta understand, who was it written to and what context? If you don't do this, you're gonna think, well, we can't do all you can eat shrimp and bacon's out and all that, you know, you start. But you gotta understand who was written, what context, what genre. All right, another one. The Bible wasn't written to us but it was written for us, okay? Again, going back to the context. It was written to certain people. When, they were be, when these books were being written, it was many times being written exactly to a people. Paul will say to the church at Corinth, he's like writing it right to them. Now, it was written to them, 
but it was written for us. That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says this. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Romans 15, 4 says this. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So it wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And so we can go back, we go, all right, where was this written and what were they going through and what was happening and, and what was happening then and there? What was happening then and there that we can apply to the here and now? And by the way, that's the way I love to preach. I love to preach saying, what was happening then and there and how can we apply it to the here and now? I'm trying to connect the dots so you're like, okay, that's a principle that we can learn from and that's how it is lived out tomorrow when I go to work. That's how it's lived out when I go to school this week in the here and now, but there was a then and there. So some people say like, again, why don't we follow the rules on shrimp and pork and all these other things, okay? Let me just take a moment to explain that. Some of the Old Testament laws that are there, again, remember, it's a, it's a library of books. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, in that library of books, there were uh, books that were written, mainly Leviticus, you'll see that there. They were writing civil laws and ceremonial laws and moral laws, okay? And the civil laws were principles that the Israelites had to live by. They were laws or principles that they had to live by. The, the nation, in order to function as a nation, God's like, here's what you're going to do. This is for you as a nation, now, because we're no longer um, living like that with the Israelite nation, like we're the Christians from every culture, every tribe, every language, all right, we no longer have to follow those things like that, but there's great principles you can look at and go, hey, that's not bad. Maybe that there's something we could look at there and then that could apply to our here and now, but we don't have to follow those things. There were also ceremonial things where when they would go in to worship God, God's like, to the priest and to the people that are worshiping, this is how I want you to do it, and these are ceremonial things. And now that Jesus has come, we no longer do it like that. But there's principles and there's things that we look at. I was in one small group, and I was talking with this one guy that worked at um, the nuclear facility in Monticello, and we were going through the Old Testament things and how to approach the Lord and wash yourself and cleanse yourself and wash yourself and take off these clothes and then put on these clothes and wash yourself. And he said, it, it, it sounds like me going to work. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, it's kind of like the respect of the nuclear. It's like we wash, we go in, we take off these clothes, we put on these, and, we, and you gotta, and that's gotta stay there, and you don't want none of that on you, and you don't go too long into its presence. You know? And I was like, wow. It just kind of put it in context. We're dealing with something that's so powerful with nuclear energy, but then we're also dealing with something so incredibly more powerful in the holiness of God. Okay, but we don't have to do those ceremonial things anymore. But then there's moral laws that things that God was saying, this is right and wrong, this is right and wrong. And he's saying, like, these are things that I'm not changing my mind on. It wasn't like, you know, God was like in the Old Testament, like, don't commit adultery. He's like, yeah, it's okay. You know, don't steal. Now it's okay. You know, under $1,000, it's fine. You know, he doesn't do that. All right, too soon? All right, yeah, yeah, all right. All right. But he doesn't change. He's like, this is what is moral and right. And, and we look at those ones, we say, those ones, we do. Again, we're understanding 
how the Bible was written and what time we're in and where we're living. If you can't tell, I really enjoyed the book and enjoyed it and inspired this sermon. I don't call it a teaching. I really wanna take a moment to teach the church because I'm watching it get under attack. So some of you are like, it's not as much of a sermon, you're right. It's more of a teaching. And um, I wanted to take this one week on this, but Dan had a, a great chart that I wanted to show and, and it got scanned in. And he just said like, if you understand the acts of God, and he said like, act one, God creates and dwells with his people. That's Genesis one and two. And then he has like a nuclear cloud there and it's probably hard for you to see. Um, and, and it says act two, humans rebel and like sin comes into the world. And you'll see this debris falling through the air. And then it's like radioactive, which kind of fits with what I just shared. And he's saying redemption is initiated. Then there's an interlude. And then we have redemption provided in Jesus, which again is Matthew through John. And then acts is uh, the mission to all nations, which is where we are right now. I think I asked for an a, a arrow. Can you put it up there? Do I have the arrow that points to Act 5? Maybe, yeah, or sorry, it's supposed to be on Act 5. That was, I, did, I made him do this at the last minute. All right, it should be on Act 5. Take that away. Go back, all right? There you go. All right, wipe it away. All right, all right. But, and then redemption completed, Revelation 22. All right, and so you understand, where are we in the timeline? We are right now in the mission to all nations. That's where we're at. We are living out from the book of Acts on, and we're saying right now until we get to, it's all done in Revelation chapter 22. That's why we're so driven to say, Lord, we wanna go into all the world. We wanna make disciples. We wanna send 500 people, because that's where we're living. And when we read the Bible, we're like, that's where we're living in this right now. What part of the Bible was written to this time frame right now, and we wanna go and do that. Boy, it's exciting. It, Right now, I just pray that you just grab a hold of that. We're in that mission to all the world. Mission to all the world. All right, back to reading the Bible. All of the Bible points to Jesus and the forgiveness God offers in him. Jesus said this. He said, the first five books of the Bible, guys, actually point to me. That's what Jesus said to them in his day when he was talking to them. In John chapter five, verses 39 and 40, he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And in verse 46, if you believe Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. He said, it was pointing to me, guys. It was pointing to me. It was pointing to Jesus, the Messiah, the one that was coming to pay the price for your sins. Luther said this about the Bible. He said, the Bible is the cradle wherein Christ is laid. I love it. Like he's, the Bible's just saying, look at Jesus, find Jesus, come to Jesus, understand. The Bible is all about pointing us to Jesus and saying, this is the way that you can have forgiveness and be made right with God. You can't believe in the Bible and say like, yeah, I, I believe in the Bible and not understand the message that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, that you need to live for Jesus Christ, that you are here to glorify him. I mean, there's no point in believing the Bible is full of truth and then not seeing Jesus as savior of the world, king of kings, lord of lords, alpha and omega, the perfect spotless lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Like, that's who he is. And the Bible's just saying it page after page after page. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This book is under attack because of that. Like, if it didn't talk about Jesus... If it didn't say Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through him. If it didn't say that, if it didn't say that Jesus, if it didn't say that, it'd be like, oh, okay. I mean, you notice there's not a lot of people attacking other books 
around the world. But this book is constantly under attack because it points everyone to Jesus. Now the last one, and I couldn't leave you hanging with unicorns and pigs and all those other things and you know, all that. Upon further review, this is the fifth point, the tough, hard to understand and odd verses have explanations, okay? They do. The tough, odd, and hard to understand verses, they have explanations. And remember, 2 Peter 3, I wanna reread it. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letter to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. So there's people that twist and are turning, and oh, what about this? And they're trying to attack us in this, but we are going to rightly divide the word of truth. We're gonna understand it. We're gonna study it. We're gonna know it. So what do you do if you get to a tough verse? What do you get to one that's odd, tough, difficult, instead of just going, all right, back over to Matthew, not doing that. What do you do? You're gonna pray about it. That's the first thing, pray about it. Lord, Lord this verse is tough. I don't know, I'm gonna start praying about it. I want you to give me wisdom to understand this. Then you might wanna memorize it. Not all of them, like there's odd ones that you're like, don't spoil the baby goat in its mother's milk. You know, you're like, you don't need to memorize that one, all right, you don't need, okay? But like one that was odd for me was like, our God is a consuming fire. And I was like, after growing up, like, everybody has different views about God the Father. And my dad was so good that it was easy for me to see a loving Heavenly Father. And I just thought, like, God really loves me, and God loves me a lot. And, and, and some people I talk to, they're like, I don't see God like that. And I'm like, I, I do. And so when I got to our God is a consuming fire, I was like, wow, let's skip that, go back to Matthew. You know, like, and, and then I wanted to memorize that. I prayed about it, I memorized it. And, and it was really saying like, he's holy, he's set apart, he's so magnificent. Coming into his, like understand, like coming to his presence, not covered by the grace that he gives us, you would incinerate, I mean, he is holy. And so after a verse that was like odd, I was like, skip over that, I memorized, and then all of a sudden I understood it more, which is something I did, I read the whole chapter and verse. Remember, context. I researched the verse. You have access in your phone to commentaries and to software that we would dream of. I mean, I used to have to have a library filled with books to be able to write a sermon, and now I can search and search and search and have commentaries that we pay, you know, and get you know, a whole world's worth of library, boom, within seconds into my hands. It's there, so you research it. Then you can ask for help. Maybe your small group leader, your pastor can help you understand, like, I can't make sense of this one, or I saw this meme and I'm trying to figure out what does it mean? And don't just throw it away. Because there's a lesson there. Every verse is in the Bible for a reason. If you remember, I did that sermon, the vultures are coming, you know? And I, I got stumped on that one, like, and there were many vultures and Abraham drove them away. And I was like, why is that in there? And then God gave me an incredible insight and sermon that the vulture is gonna try to steal your inheritance, try to steal your promise, and I've been able to preach that message around the world from a verse that was very obscure that I did this very thing, all right? Now there's more to it, and the Bible gives clarity on slavery, it does. It gives clarity on what was going on, and you'll see a progression in there. The Bible gives clarity on marriage, the Bible gives clarity on women in the church, creation and science, 
and Dan does a great job in his book, but I started with these ones with unicorns and pigs. And so the unicorn, Isaiah 34, 7. Some of you didn't even know that was in the Bible. You've never seen that meme, and you're like, all right, that one was weird. This is what the King James Version says. And the unicorns shall come down with them, and the bullocks with the bulls, and their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust made fat with fatness. And if you read that, you're like, really? The Bible believes in unicorns? Like, we're in big trouble, okay? But then if you go to the NIV version, it says this, and the wild oxen will fall with them, the bull calves and the great bulls, and their land will be drenched with blood, and the dust will be soaked with fat. So it makes sense. See, what happened in the King James in 1611 when they were writing this, they came across a, a word that was there, reum, and when they saw reum, they didn't know what it was, and it just meant like one-horned animal. And so they'd not heard of this animal before, and so they looked, and they went from the Hebrew and the Greek, and they tried to look, and the, the best word they could come up with was unicorn. And so they put it in there, okay? So just to, just stop for a moment. The Bible is inspired in its original languages, all right, in the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic. And as we make translations, we're trying to figure out what does that word mean and how do we do it? And so in 1611, they were trying to figure out what does this reum work? I mean, what does it mean? They, they'd never seen one before. Now, the Assyrians talked about uh, a one-horned oxen that was there. If I was to say, what's a one-horned animal? You might say rhinoceros, right? You would think it wouldn't be strange to think of a one-horned, but they were like, what word do we put here? And so they put unicorn in that. And so from that, people that are ignorant and arrogant use that to attack the church and the Bible. But if they look deeper, they'd understand that it really was a one-horned ox that actually existed and now is extinct. And we have record of it. And there's a super fancy name for it that I won't even try to uh, pronounce, okay? But it was was an ox that had great strength, one prominent horn. Okay, then the pig thing. Like, the pig, like, why can't you eat pork? And some people said, well, that was because they couldn't refrigerate it. And pork, if not cooked well, could give you parasites. And shrimp is not good, too, because it's a bottom feeder. And if you don't cook that right, it could, you know, do this to you, too. And lobster, and, okay, it could be, could be just sanitary things, could be. But upon deeper inspection of this, you start to realize that the people around them worship the pig. And God's like, I want you to be distinct and holy. You're not gonna touch the pig. You're not gonna touch these animals either that are there because the people around you worship and do pagan rituals with these things and you're not even gonna touch those things. And then you say, well, why couldn't you mix fabric? You know, like some people mock, like the Bible says you can't mix polyester and cotton and all this. And God was like, the other people around you do that and you're not gonna do that. Matter of fact, the only people I've authorized to wear something that is blended fabric is the priest, and I don't want you to impersonate a priest. The priest will wear the mixed fabric. The rest of you will wear single fabric. Don't impersonate a priest. You say, well, that seems weird. Well, would you want somebody impersonating a police officer today? You say, I'm glad that only police officers wear police uniforms and nobody impersonates them and it's against the law to impersonate them because I want to make sure they're a police officer. Okay, well, God, he said, I'm holy. And when you come and worship me, only the priest is going to do that, not you. And then he said, you know why you don't mix crops together and grow them together? He said, because your neighboring people around you are worshiping their false gods and they think if they 
blend the crops together, that the fertility God will pour out more rain on them. And I don't want you like that. I want you distinct. I want you holy. I want you different. Upon further review, all of a sudden, it's like a revival scripture when you realize don't touch the pigs and don't mix your crops and don't mix the clothes because I want you to be distinct. I want you to be holy. I want the world to know you're mine. Upon further review, God knows what he's doing and he put it in here for a reason. And so we're gonna cherish the word of God, love the word of God, live by the word of God and apply it to our lives. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you that we can know you through the word of God. John said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And we thank you, Lord, that we can know you through your word. We thank you, God, for inspiring this and giving us the way to live, the way to understand you, to come to you in worship, and to even have eternal life. And so we thank you for that. God, bless your word. May we cherish it more. May we cherish it more. And for those that have not read it in a while, God, I pray this would recharge them, strengthen them, and they'd wanna go and jump into it more. And for those that feel like they've read it all, God, would they realize the word of God is deeper than the ocean. They will not exhaust uh, their reading of it, their understanding of it, their knowing of it, their ability to divide it and to be able to explain it for others to know you as Lord and Savior. So God, help us to, again, thank you for the word, live the word, and be changed by the word of God. In your name I pray, amen and amen.